You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, we've got one of our own special people that we really love and adore, and absolutely, he is a gift uh, from God. Um, you guys know him, you love him. Let's welcome Stephen Hardwick. Woo, woo, woo! <laughs> It's it's funny the the more you preach the shorter your introductions get. So uh, I think I'm gonna go maybe twice a year so that my uh, introductions get a little bit fluffier. I'm kidding. Well, you get a double dose of me today. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> Two people thought it was a good thing. Woo! That's enough for me. Come on now. Ah, well, this is an interesting day for me because I didn't decide on what I was preaching on until yesterday. Uh, Also a very scary thing, but I have been juggling with two or three different messages, and it's funny because I've been reading in John all week, and I I was hoping he was going to stay in the room when I shared this, and now he's walking away. Uh, Chris shared out of John 15 this morning uh, at the end of worship as, as we introduced ministry time. Uh, and it's funny because I was originally preaching out of John 17. Uh, it's, a, it's a topic on my heart that I have been praying for for probably about eight years now consistently that, uh, that John 17 uni- unity in the body of Christ will become a present-day reality for us, the believer, right? It's been, it's been uh, kind of a, one of the cornerstones for the worship and prayer movement that the worship and prayer movement does not find success without unity in the body of Christ, Right, we've we've talked about that a little bit here, uh, but jo- uh, John 15, I just want to read it real quick because uh, it, it's something that I've been talking about for two weeks now. Uh, Josh, who plays drums and cajon, hey Josh, by the way, he's all the way in the back. Thank you for making eye contact with me. This is great. You're my you're my amen corner this morning, by the way. I love you. We we had a really deep conversation last week one night. Um, that I have no idea. There, there's sometimes there, there are people in your life that just stir things up in you that you don't really know that are there, that have just been seeds in the ground, and then you meet the right people, and that seed gets activated, right? Anybody have any people like that in your life that just, that just cause the well in you to spring up? And I don't remember what exactly we were talking about, but it was deep and it was heavy, and it was around prayer. But John 15 says this, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, very specific, that if I abide in you and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. I'm not preaching on this, but this was too good to pass up. Very distinct language, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and then he says, you will ask what you desire, and it'll be done for you. Really strange language that, that Jesus is saying here. Josh and I were talking the other night about prayer, and, and I think we were talking about healing and not seeing, not seeing prayers accomplished and, and how to handle disappointment and things like that. And, and this thing came to me that, well, Josh, there's not a prayer that we have ever prayed that the Father has not already prayed before. That if I pray it, and if I'm in him and he is in me and his words are in me, and if I have his heart, then when I pray, it didn't begin in me, it began in him. You get that? And so when we talk about being disappointed with the lack of response or answered prayers, it's less important than 
I'm not praying a prayer convincing God. I'm coming into agreement with what he's already spoken to be true. When he makes the universe in Genesis 1, there wasn't anything to conflict with him, and he wasn't agreeing with anything else. He said it, and it became reality. That's exactly what happens when he prays over us. We come into agreement with a word that cannot be changed or shaken. Does this make sense? So I just wanted to reiterate John 15. Y'all are looking kind of sleepy on me. I need, I, need, I need some energy. I know we were all up late last night. Fireworks was awesome. Going to bed at midnight was not awesome. Uh, so I need y'all to help me this morning. Come on. This is just too good. I want to read it one more time, and I want us to receive. Just put your hand on your heart this morning. I, I want this just to kind of resonate and go home with you and, and think about this. Ponder this word today. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Father, I pray right now for every believer in this room, every single person would come into the understanding and revelation that what we pray and when we pray is not convincing God, it's agreeing with him. Father, it's agreeing with what you've already spoken. And if it's a prayer that's not in your heart, God, would you change our heart? Would you align us with the truth of who you are and what you've already spoken? Jesus. God, renew our minds. Renew our spirits in this house today. God, give us a new spirit. Give us a right spirit to know you and encounter you and to hear your voice, to pray what you're praying. Father, renew us in this house this morning. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. You missed it. I talked about what you, what you prayed up here this morning. It was so prophetic, man. You did? Good. It was, it was spot on. I told, I told him I'd been, I'd been reading out of John 17 and 15, and you came up here and, and did that whole thing, and you missed it. You didn't even know it. It's prophetic. You are prophetic. That's amazing. Thank God. Woo. <laughs> Well, I want to, uh, the, the past couple times I've preached, I've talked about uh, prayer, and specifically last time I talked about intercession. Uh, did, who was here for the, the intercession message a few weeks ago? Did, did you enjoy that? Did, was that good for you? I hope so. I want to I continue to talk, not, not only because I'm the, the prayer guy, the worship pastor, the worship guy. That's not the only thing I enjoy talking about, but it is something that I feel with the, with the grace on me in this house right now that there, there's something available to you. In, in regards of impartation for you to receive, not just to make you feel good, but for you to walk away changed in your identity, not just as a believer, but a worshiper. Yeah? Because that, I think, is the more important reality. Yes, we're all born into uh, the kingdom of God. When we're made new, when we, when we accept Jesus and say, Lord, I, I submit to the lordship of Jesus over my life, it, it does change our identity and make us sons and daughters. That is always true, and I, I'm so thankful for that. But I think that the reality that's shaping and impacting the church the most right now, not just in America but globally, is our identity as worshipers, first and foremost, but primarily ministers to God. Because worshipers can mean a lot of things to people. For most churches in America, it means that I come and sit in a seat on Sunday morning and enjoy worship. That's not what it means to be a worshiper. What it means is that I'm not 
spectating, I'm now participating in moving God's heart. And it's not solely the, the job of the worship leader or the cool band or the lights director or the sound engineer. It's now my responsibility when I walk in the room to move God's heart. And so how do we do that? How do we come into the room hungry and not empty? Because for most believers, we walk in with our lamps empty instead of full. When our responsibility was to show up ready to pour out rather than receive. And my prayer is, is that in my role as your worship pastor, that you get to drink deep in that revelation more than anything else, more than any cool. Worship was great this morning, and that's not by my own talent or anything else. That was because there is a room full of people who showed up with their lamps full this morning, ready to pour out their oil at the feet of Jesus. <sighs> that's how you shape nations. That's how you change culture. It's not by having good language and, and, and wearing the right clothes, which my shirt is kind of fire this morning. It's, it's that, that's the, <laughs> thank you for all you that complimented my shirt, by the way. I love flowery shirts. It's my favorite. All that stuff's great, and it'll, it'll get the attention of the world for sure. It, it absolutely will draw the eye of the, the believer and unbeliever, but it won't begin to shape the inside of the inner man until we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which is to meet with him in secret, be filled up, and depart full, ready to pour out. That's our responsibility. One of my favorite teachings from Corey Russell. Anybody know who Corey Russell is? Oh, dude, I love Corey. So, dude, me and you, we could talk about Corey for days. Dude, he has impacted my life. Corey always talks about Jesus' life uh, in, in secret and prayer in a unique way that I've never heard before in that Jesus never went to pray with God. He was always coming from prayer with God which completely shaped how he prayed and ministered to people. He never had to ask God to fill him up when he prayed for someone that was sick or hungry or in need of something because he always left full. You get that? That's, that's the reality that you and I get to walk in now, is that when I live in the secret place with God, I never have to go anywhere and ask God, will you, feel, uh, will you pray for me, Craig? Craig? Son, I want you to pray for me. Okay, God, will you fill me up right now? Give me, give me oil, give me fire. That's not the way Jesus did. Go, go, and, go and be healed in Jesus' name. Go and sin no more. Done. No, oh, Father, would you fill me up? There was none of that. Why? Because he was already full wherever he went. And that's what we get to walk in. That's what we're called to do. That's how we affect change in the world outside of these four walls. When we leave here, we don't need to be praying for oil. That's what's supposed to happen in secret. This isn't even my message. I do this every time. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help me stay. I'm just going to go with it. Well, uh, I, I am going to talk about worship. Let's turn to, um, I, I want to look at a few different passages of Scripture this morning. I want to talk about the life of David a little bit. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is talk about the life of David a hundred different ways, and I'm probably going to do that in the next few years while I preach. But I want you to turn to First Chronicles 13. We're not going to read through all these, but I, I want you to have these verses uh, just as a reference. I, I want to talk about them a little bit. First Chronicles 13 and also First Chronicles 15. Uh, if you're a note taker, write all these down. So the, the context of First Chronicles 13 through 15 is the story of 
David moving the Ark of the Covenant, which was probably the most countercultural thing that he could have done in his day, besides dancing half naked in the streets, which <laughs> we love to talk about that. I think it's funny. First Chronicles 13 is the, the tale of David taking the Ark off of the cart, right? Where they, David appoints singers, musicians, the whole nine yards. He describes the, the types of musicians that he actually calls for. And then we read later in verse 15 that they had to do it again because it didn't work the first time. What's happening in this? We always talk about David was called to, you know, pioneer worship for Israel and to restore back the mantle that God had originally designed for Israel to operate in, which was to be a resource center, a worship center, not just for the nation, but for surrounding nations. And we love to talk about the successes of David. Why, why in this was, was this a failure for him? So First Chronicles 13, they take the ark off uh, of the covenant off. They put it on the cart, or they take it off the cart. They put it on the shoulders of uh, the priesthood at the time, which was not an object but a people. They, they, put the, they put it on the shoulders of priests to carry, right? In other words, the, what this really symbolizes is that God isn't interested in being manipulated by our gimmicks, tactics, and ministries. This is verse or chapter 13 in a nutshell, that they tried everything that they could actually said uh, with all of David's might and power and strength that they worshiped the Lord, right? But nothing happened. And so David now gets this revelation, not through encountering God's presence, but through their failure and mistake that, oh, maybe this isn't what God wants. You following this this morning? And so the context of verse 13 then shifts to 15, which basically kind of says the same thing. It's a lot of text and a, and a lot of lineage. Let me read a little bit. First Chronicles 13, 8. This is when they're carrying the ark up, uh, up the mountain. This is verse 8. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and harps and lyres and timbrels, which is tambourines, which we don't allow in this building ever. Amen, let it be so. Timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. Chapter 13, they were worshiping with all their might, and it's powerful, it's profound, and it probably sounded good. It was probably very pleasing to the ear. They hired the, the most skillful musicians that they could find in the day. It's like thousands and thousands, 10,000 musicians. But it wasn't moving God's heart. But it wasn't the proper order. It wasn't what God was trying to set up, not just for the moment, but for the nation to carry out for years and years to come. And so in chapter 15, it says this. Oh, look at First Chronicles 15, 22, if you've got that pulled up. I'll go ahead and read it. Just mark it for notes for later. Uh, verse 22 says this. Then Kenaniah, the head Levite, was in charge of the singing, and that was his responsibility because he was skillful. Say skillful. He was skillful at it. That word skillful in Greek and in the Hebrew doesn't mean skilled as in talented. That word actually means discerning. That they brought in the head Levite that was the most discerning to come and play and sing. What's happening here? They'd hired the talent, they'd hired the gifting to come in and lead the charge of, of taking the ark up 
and God wasn't pleased it because it wasn't what he was trying to do. They brought in the one that had the most discernment and the one that could hear his voice the most to come in and lead worship. How many know that many churches in America and and globally have very talented musicians, but they have no anointing. They They have no desire to hear what God is doing in the moment. And David corrects this and goes, we don't, we don't want the most talented right now. We need the one that can hear God's voice. We need the one that knows how to move, move God's heart. How did he know this? Because that's what he'd done as a boy his entire life. He spent years alone in, in fields and hillsides with a harp, with, a, with hundreds, of, hundreds of sheep. No people, but God showed up when he played. What was happening? He, he was learning as a young boy to discern what God was doing. How many times have we heard, you know, Scripture talking about David being a skillful musician? It's the same word used in 1 Chronicles 15, skillful. It was the most discerning. He could understand what God was doing and how to move his heart through, through worship and through music. Do you know that you're called to do the same thing? You'll say, I'm not a musician. No, but you can sing. (laughs) It may not be pretty, but neither was the musician in 1 Chronicles 15. As a matter of fact, it probably offended many people that, that David appointed him. It didn't sound pretty, but it moved God's heart. Jesus. That's a whole other side topic. It's 11.30. I need to move on. All right, let's do this. Let's, uh, I want to do a little bit of teaching and give, because we've talked about uh, the topic of ministering to the Lord or ministering to God's heart. If you've heard, you know, one of those messages here, uh, anybody remember what I'm talking about, ministering to God's heart? Uh, I want to I introduce some language to this. Um, I remember a guy named Andy Squires said this uh, a couple months ago on, online, that whenever, whenever God sense his fire, he also introduces new vocabulary. And that in order for us to move forward in that, that we have to learn how to communicate properly what God is doing and saying for us to operate in it continually. And so we believe that this house is called to minister to God's heart first and foremost. Amen? We're we're not here to spectate. This isn't a spectator sport. When we show up, we're called to Minister to God, come in, full, lamps full, minister to God's heart, pour it out of his, at his feet, go home, get filled up in secret, repeat the process. That's, that's us. This is this house. You agree with that? That's you? Anybody in here? Okay. We're going we're gonna to do some teaching this morning. Uh, Lindsay, if you have that, that big fancy word, why don't you throw that up on the screen? Uh, no, the other one. It's the, it's the Greek word. Yeah, the fancy word. So I want to talk about this word here that has, has really honestly shaped a lot of the ministry of my life for the past eight years of, of prayer ministry. And if you're looking at this like, how in the world do you say that? This is pronounced liturgeo. Say liturgeo. Liturgeo. So liturgeo is a Greek word that means to minister to God, to minister to God's heart, or to minister to the Lord. It's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Anytime you read uh, in Scripture in the Old Testament where God was, or uh, people, priests, or the priesthood were ministering to God, where they were tending to the fire on the altar, they were tending to the sacrifice, 
you'll see this word uh, in Greek, liturgeo, and they, and they were ministering to God daily. Liturgeo is the word that you'll see in that. This word is only used twice in the New Testament, ever. And so I want to talk about what it, what it means to us in a new covenant, new, uh, new Testament reality for, okay, post-cross, post-resurrection, what does this word mean to us? Because gone are the days of burnt sacrifices. So what does this mean to us? How do we live in this reality where I'm ministering to God without an, a burnt offering or sacrifice? So let's look at this. Let's look at Hebrews 10, verse 11. Hebrews 10, 11. When you're there, say, I'm there. And you're not there. Is this okay this morning? I feel like we're a little bit sleepy. Are we good? Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, read this together. Hebrews 10, 11. This, this whole section is titled, Christ's death perfects the sanctified. Whew. All right. Verse 11 says this. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Let me read that again. And every priest stands ministering daily. That term ministering daily right there actually says liturgeo. That's that's where we get this reference from. This is one of the references in, in the New Testament. Ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Let's read on through verse 12. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Come on. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this covenant that I make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now there is remission of these. There is no longer an offering for sin. Whew, I'm going to read that one more time. Now there is remission of these. There is no longer an offering for sin. And so if there is no longer an offering for sin, if sin is no longer the central issue on God's heart, because that was, how many know that that was eradicated? The issue of sin, not sin, st- sin still exists, right? The issue of sin has now been eradicated for all humanity. Powerful. And so now my central focus is no longer sin and my, my part in it, but what now? Liturgeo. Are you catching this this morning? He takes away all the sin, takes on the sin of the world, takes away all of our need to, re- to continually burn sacrifices for it and has made himself one perfect sacrifice so that we never have to do it again. Why does he do that? To avoid hell? Absolutely. It's still an issue. We still need to evangelize. We still minister to the lost. Amen? Do we still believe that? But he does this not to make sure that we live in heaven forever. That's good and all. But it's to make sure that our primary focus is now no longer, God, forgive me of my sin. God, I don't, help me to not sin today. It's now that, God, how can I please you? How can I move your heart? It's, it's countercultural. 
how many churches have we been to? I know a lot of people that come, come to this body and call this place family. How many of us have been to churches and been a part of churches? I've been on staff with churches that preach this way. Altar calls every single Sunday where we say, hey, if you have any sins that you want to come and repent for, come down front. Our team will pray for you and walk you through the sinner's prayer. I'm going to make a very bold statement. You cover me if I'm, I'm in the wrong here. No, I'm going for it. Then I got the nod of approval, baby. I, I believe as, as much good as it's brought to the church, I, th- I believe that the sinner's prayer has brought so much pain to the body of Christ because it has been a blanket statement for an issue that's no longer an issue for God. <laughs> and we put, we put people in cycles of offering up a burnt sacrifice of sin for my guilt and shame and my part in it when he died to forget it. Somebody just fell out in the Holy Ghost back there. Touch them, God. More, Lord. Double it. Get them. I know it was good. I didn't know it was that good. Did, did you catch that, though? That the issue of sin is not supposed to be mine. It's his. He dealt with it on the cross. It's over with. That's what real victory looks like. Y'all are looking at me like a deer in headlights right now. It, I, it's, it's, it's countercultural, and some call it heresy, but I, I call it the gospel of Jesus. When I read my Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the story of him undoing all of sin for mankind so that I can be remade in his image. And it's so funny that the gospel is a, is a, a message for the body to not just become sons and daughters but to become worshipers because until I can understand this reality, I cannot truly step into my identity as a worshiper and a minister of God that does liturgeo daily if I'm only concerned with my own sin. Jesus, I thank you that you've forgiven me for all my sin. Lord, we thank you that you've dealt with all of it on the cross. Will you show me my part in this story? Show me what it means to be a worshiper, a laid-down lover. He actually says in First Chronicles 13 or 15 that he appointed the, the head Levi, the house of Levi, the head worshiper, the house that was dedicated. They were, laid, they were known as laid-down lovers, that they were on their face daily. That that was the one that would lead the charge of leading the ark back up to the place of worship, where David would establish a tabernacle that would go on for 33 years of nonstop worship and prayer that not only restored Israel back to what it was originally designed to be, but was so attractive to the world around it that nations, it says that rulers of nations would come to this thing that David built to see what God was doing. It was that impactful. And we're talking about leaders that weren't even believers of God, that didn't even worship their God. They worshiped other gods and they were like, what, you haven't lost a single battle? You haven't lost a war? You've, you've spent millions and millions of dollars for musicians, but you're not broke? How, how are you in increase right now? We need to see what's happening here. This paradigm shift baffled nations around it. What would happen if we started to operate like that? That we became so attractive to the world, not because of our flashy worship teams and lights and programs and, and mission statements, and visions and, and plans for the year ahead, but we became so enthralled with the person of Jesus that it, it, it caused the world around us to go, 
you're you're a, a resource. You're rich. Like what, you have something that we don't have, and we want to know how. Oh, Jesus. The word lights or geo is used every time it talks about priests in the tabernacle. We've talked about this. Moses' tabernacle, David's tabernacle. It actually says that he set the singers and musicians daily to light or geo, to minister to God's heart. Solomon's temple, the same thing. The restoration period tabernacle, the same thing. Every time priests are tending to fire, this word is used. And here in Luke, in Acts 13, did we read this together yet? Let's read it. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna give some context for this. Acts 13, two. All right, let's read it. Acts 13, two says this, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Luke, who's the writer of this book of Acts, says this, that in a Gentile city, multi-ethnic community, a post-cross resurrection reality that God has found a new priesthood a priesthood that's called to minister to God's heart, not just in the temple, but everywhere we go. That's me and you. And it was in this context in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. In other words, God finds his leaders and his laborers in the tabernacle of meeting, ministering to God's heart. These are the people he's looking for. I've been waiting for years for someone to use me. Been wait, God, will you send me to the nations? Will you give me an opportunity to do what I'm called to do? And the Holy Spirit calls out Paul and Barnabas in this context. Why? Because they were anointed? Yeah, but no. Because they were in secret, praying to the Lord, ministering to his heart, and God says, set apart for me them. Those are the people that I want. Those are the people that I'll send out to the nations to go and, and, and get the harvest, right? That's me and you. Man. Is this okay this morning? I wanna read this and then I wanna do some ministry time. Doing good on time? We are. What God is looking for is for people that will carry God's presence, not objects and not platforms and not ministries. What God is looking for is for people that will host him and know how God not only wants to move, but be identified, which is through you and me. Isn't that crazy? That he identifies himself through you and I, through common people. Jesus' throne is the throne of David. It's not even the throne of God anymore. That he has established himself on the throne of David. That's how he identifies now. Me and you. Just people. 
what God is looking for is for people that will host him and how God wants to be identified is through you and me. How God wants to be seen, how God wants to be brought into a city is not on a good vision plan and a good mission statement. But he wants to be brought into cities through priesthoods that carry on their shoulders the presence of God everywhere they go. Liturgeo. People that minister to him. Here or there. Church or not. Church or work. Walmart or the gas station. (laughs) That my heart is always turned in affection toward him. It never gets turned off. And God says, that's the order I'm looking for. I'm looking for men and women that will walk with me as one. The central ministry of the church is not the preacher in the pulpit, it's the priesthood in his presence. Man. Thank you, Jesus. Let's do this. Let's stand together. I want to take four or five minutes. I want, I want us to pray together. It, has this impacted anybody this morning? I know that I talk about this a lot, but if, if you feel this moving in your heart, yeah. Let's do this. I want us to pray together, not, not pray for one another, but I want us to pray together in unity over this this morning because more than I want you to leave here feeling good, I want you to leave here changed. And I, mind you, this is a heavy word because the this is not a casual word. This is not a word that you do. This is something that you become, right? Because if I only do this, I'm doing it contrary to what God says this word actually means, that liturgeo is not a come in and do it on Sunday morning and go home on Monday and go back to my job and never think about it again. This has to consume us from the inside out. And the only way to do it is through prayer, and through worship, and through intimacy with God in the secret place. And so more than anything, I want us to pray this morning for a new well to be dug. So do this. Put a a hand on your belly. Jesus. Hey. just out loud for just for 30 seconds will you begin to thank the Lord for his presence right now Jesus I thank you that your presence has gone before us in this place it's here now and it will lead the way when we leave this building come on just just for a moment begin to to thank him for who he is Come on, Ella, don't, just with boldness right now, begin to lift up thanksgiving to the Lord. Lift up thanksgiving to the Lord right now with courage and boldness. Thank you. Thank you for being a good friend. Thank you for setting the stage for what we're encountering right now this morning. Father, I pray for every person that hears this word this morning. I pray that every single one of us would receive fully the revelation of light or what it means to minister to your heart.
want you to put a hand over your eyes right now. Father, I pray that the, the eyes would begin to open in a new way. We can sing, show me your face all day long, but until the scales fall off, it means nothing. Lord, would you open up our eyes this morning? Lord, would you, Lord, would you send the lion right now? Lord, we thank you for the dove, but would you send the lion? Would you show us your face shining, your eyes with fire? I pray that you would go into the secret place of every person right now. Would you prepare a place of intimacy, but also of fire right now? That when they go home, when we go home tonight and tomorrow and the day after and the day after, that you would reveal yourself not just as the dove, but the lion. I don't know why I'm praying that this morning, but I feel like God is releasing the lion of Judah this morning for people to not only encounter the the, the sweetness of his presence, but the boldness and the fire of his presence today. Lord, I pray for the scales that have formed over our, like, like when you wake up and you've got crust around your eyes. Like I almost saw the Lord wiping away that which has made us unable to open our eyes. Lord, would you open up the eye of every single believer in this room right now? Come on, just begin to begin to pray right now. If you don't know what to pray, pray in tongues. Lord, I pray that you would send fire right now. Come on, we're not going to rush on. This isn't a two-minute prayer. I want us to begin to pray for the next three or four minutes for God to show us himself in a new way right now. Until we're marked by him, we don't know how to minister to him. So right now, Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask for the dove to come in and rest in this place. Holy Spirit, land here. We say we are a target for it. Put a target on us this morning. Paint a target on me, God. I am willing and I'm ready. Here we are, God. Here we are, God. Mark our hearts for encounters with you. God, I break off fear right now in Jesus' name. We break off the spirit of complacency that has bound us for so long in complacency and relationship with you, in complacency uh, towards the church for the body of Christ, the ecclesia. God, would you, I, I feel like the Lord is actually sending the lion this morning for people that have been uh, disillusioned in a good way, that have been so discontent and dissatisfied for church as usual, that God is going to begin to stir up your heart, not in anger towards the church, but in intercession toward it, to begin to pray and actually see change happen for the body of Christ. So Lord, send the lion right now in Jesus' name. Send the lion of Judah right now. Burn us up from the inside out, we pray. Lord, burn us up. Come on, begin to pray that right now. All, all, of, the, all of the trash that's been, that's been put in us, either through religion or complacency or fatigue, spiritual fatigue or burden or heaviness, God, send your fire right now. Burn us up on the inside. Lord, I say right now that burnt offerings are no more, but I am the offering. Would you come and consume me with your holy fire right now? Come on, don't stop. Begin to pray right now. This is ministering to his heart too. When you lay yourself on the line and say, here I am, God, use me. Consume me with your fire right now. Lord, send your fire till the only thing that's left in me is you. Consume us this morning. Come on, would you show us your face? Would you show us the lion right now? 
Come on, just begin to ask the Lord. It's a bold prayer, but Lord, we thank you for the dove, but would you show us the lion right now? Lord, give us zeal for your house. Give us zeal for your house. <laughs> we don't want hype. We want zeal. We want passion. We want hunger. Lord, stir up hunger in this house right now. Lord, let the wells that have been dry, would you fill them and make new ones right now? God, I thank you that you're doing a brand new thing in each and every one of us this morning. That you're not just reviving old wells, that you're digging new ones. Lord, fill us up as you dig right now. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Fill us up. Fill us up. Hey. Fill us up, Holy Ghost. I, I just saw a picture. Keep praying. I just saw a picture of the Lord <laughs> preparing the bedroom for the bride to come back into tonight. Father, I pray that as we come back into the marriage bed tonight, I don't have any other language for it, that as we come into the, the, the marriage bed of intimacy with you tonight, that you would give us the right garment. Jesus. Give us the right garment, God. Not a, not a garment of heaviness, but a garment of praise, of thanksgiving, of hunger pure and spotless. Lord, we repent. I don't, I don't know why I'm praying this, Lord. We repent for making sin the central focus. Lord, we repent right now as one body for making sin more important than your presence. him for a moment, Jesus. Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. <laughs> oh, but it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Hey. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. It's all about you. Oh, give us a right spirit today. Renew our spirit in this place. Lord, we repent for making it about us, our mistakes, and our failures. Lord, set us on a path 
of loving you. We repent, but we move forward in Christ today. Set our gaze on your face. Lord, you are everything. Well, we're almost done. Well, just, just tell him right now, Lord, you are everything. You, God, your presence is enough. Come on, just tell him that right now. Jesus, you are enough. Your presence is enough. If I have you and nothing else, I have everything. If I have your presence and I have nothing else, I have everything. One more time, if I have your presence and I have nothing, I have everything. <sighs> Lord, would you set this word on our hearts this week? Liturgeo, teach us how to move your heart. Yeah, I think it's interesting as Stephen's talking about the coming as a lion because I got this picture as we were praying and I saw um, the lion, when, when the lion wants to make his presence known across the grasslands, he doesn't roar. There's this guttural noise that he makes. It's not a roar. It's like this guttural noise he makes. And it kind of pauses, but it, it's consistent. And it can be heard for miles across the plains of Africa. And anything within that path that hears that, that sound knows that that region, that land belongs to him. I mean, it's a perfect picture of, of his kingdom advancing. And it's a perfect picture of, it's in the deep places of worship is where his kingdom advances. And it's in the deep places in the secret place of worship that we have all authority. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Mm. Man. I would, I would recommend, seriously, and I'm not just saying this because Stephen's on staff here, but I would recommend going back and listening to this podcast again because it, it, there's some things here that, you need, that we need to unpack uh, that if we grab, if we get a hold of it and we start living our life from this place, man, there's not one enemy that's going to be able to stand before you. Not one. Doesn't mean you're not going to stumble or you're not going to have obstacles or doesn't mean you're not going to have issues. But man, when, when you start making, when you start getting in that place of worship and you start announcing from the deepest place of your gut that He is Lord, He is King, and He reigns, it's just like in David's time, there's no army that's going to be able to stand before you. No army. Wow, so good, Stephen. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Give him, yeah, Stephen did such an amazing job. Well, we're going to, there are a few of us that are going to be up here to pray. If you, if you need somebody to agree with you for healing or if you need some prayer of agreement, we'll be up here, Craig, and come up here, Stephen, me. Hey, Rose, come up here, would you? Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot, Rose. I, yeah. See, her shirt, her sweatshirt says, hold fast. That's a good word for somebody today. 
hold fast, get ready. It's not if, it's when, okay? So, hey, we love you guys. If you need prayer in agreement for anything, we want to we welcome you up here and we'll pray with you. But other than that, go be blessed. Have a safe 4th of July. Keep all 10 fingers, okay? And uh, everybody gets that, right? Yeah. Anyway, we love you. God bless you. God bless America. Come on. It's the 4th of July. We love you guys. For more resources and information about Resurgent ATL, please visit our website, 